For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. I think we can all agree the current political moment is fraught. But how does it compare to the other fraught political moments in history? It felt for a time in part of that decade like everything was falling apart. Young people against old people, anti-war violence, peace movement. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. And this week, presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin joins me on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet. We talk about difficult times in America's history and how its people overcame them. The episode is out now. Search and follow Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Evan Ratliff from The Atavist. And I'm here with Max Linsky and Aaron Lammer from Long Form, my co-hosts. Morning, Evan. It's a rainy day. Yeah. It's a rainy day morning. We never do this in the morning for probably good reason. Max interviewed Adrian Chen from Gawker this week. Internet famous Adrian Chen. Uh, he has been in the news. You might have read his story about Violent Acres. Uh, the greatest troll on the web was the headline, I think. Biggest troll on the web. Uh, he is a. Uh, he was the most influential commenter on Reddit. He was also a moderator on Reddit. He was also responsible for some of uh, the most offensive content on Reddit. And uh, a week and a half ago, Adrian unmasked him on Gawker. And uh, my sense from talking to him was that he has not done anything but respond to responses to this story for the last week and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, this story is a bit of an anomaly in, in among some of the stuff that, that Adrian has done that's... Um a little bit less directed at a specific individual. And he's also done a lot of work sort of exploring the uh, mysteries of the internet. Uh, I think he uh, tracked down a guy who, uh, well, I'm sure you guys get into this. In the, uh, yeah, I may, I may or may not have used the phrase internet detective. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm jazzed about something else. What are you jazzed about, Aaron? I'm jazzed about our sponsor. hey Tiny Letter. Tiny Letter is a simple, minimalist, powerful email newsletter service from the good people at MailChimp. Uh, it's it's really probably the uh, quickest you can go from uh, zero to 60 in getting a newsletter out, and uh, we recommend it and thank them for the sponsorship. Thanks, Tiny Letter. All right, here's Adrian Chen. Adrian, thanks for coming to J Street. Thanks for having me. So almost a week ago, last Friday, you published a story uh, about, well, why don't, you, why don't you tell us about the story? Okay. Uh, I wrote a story uh, uh, outing a notorious user of the social news site Reddit. Um, his handle was Violent Acres, and he was responsible for some really horrible things, uh, creating sections dedicated to violence against women and uh, posting a lot of creepy pictures of underage girls um and 
I found out his identity was a uh, 49-year-old Michael Brooch from uh, Arlington, Texas, and I called him up and confronted him and then published a story kind of outing him and, and uh, telling the story of how he became such a powerful user of Reddit, which, if you're not familiar with Reddit, is kind of one of probably the single most influential site in internet culture right now. Um, it's got billions of page views a month. It had 4.2 billion page views in August and has become this kind of cultural juggernaut. And, uh, yeah. And and Violent Acres uh, was not just a random guy. Yeah, he was arguably the most influential user of uh, Reddit, which is a completely user-generated site. Um, Reddit is... Uh, divided into subsections called subreddits that anybody can create. And uh, when you create it, you become a moderator and you have kind of ultimate control over these subreddits. And there are subreddits for everything from um, nail art to, you know, Batman or or whatever. And uh, Brooch was a moderator of, you know, hundreds of these and had become this, you know, power user among power users and had relationships with the staff and the administrator and was very entrenched and kind of a celebrity uh, on the site. Yeah, I mean, he he was almost kind of protected in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, the administrators, you know, gave him awards and they all knew his real name and would have never told anybody. Um, so, yeah, he was definitely tight with, with the staff. How did you find his real name? Um... So he had this thing where he would he would because uh, he was such a controversial figure, you know, he was very beloved by a lot of people, but also hated. And whenever somebody in the community would get in trouble, there's a lot of drama on Reddit. He would kind of reach out to these people and take them under his wing. And you know, over his career, he's reached out to a lot of people, and and one of these people uh, kind of got disenchanted with him. Uh, and was kind of grossed out by his obsession with underage girls and just leaked me his name when I was writing about this subreddit he found called Jailbait, which was dedicated to kind of taking pictures off of teenagers, teenage girls' Facebook profiles and posting them to this Jailbait subreddit where, you know, 20,000 creepy guys were drooling over them. Yeah, again, I mean, that wasn't, some kind of like small little part of the site. It was huge. Right. It was, yeah, it was uh, for a while the second biggest uh, search term that brought people to Reddit right after Reddit and uh, was kind of this cultural weird touchstone in a way on the site where, you know, everybody was like, oh, jailbait, you know, it's it was kind of this thing that people love to hate, I think. Yeah, so, so, I mean, let's go back to this name stuff because this story is really, I, I mean, it's kind of taken over the internet for the last week or so. And, and most of the discussion has centered around your decision to publish the guy's name. So when did you find out his name? It was, I think probably almost exactly a year ago, probably October, November, 2011, when uh, his former friend gave me a bunch of screenshots and information that, you know, he said proved that this guy was Michael Brooch. Um, and at the time he had never been, you know, on given a voice interview. He's got, he'd given a lot of interviews, you know, on over chat. He'd never appeared on camera or anything. So it was going to be very hard to kind of confirm that, you know, I didn't want to just call him up and him say, no, that's wrong. And me not be able to confirm it. 
And so I was trying to figure out, you know, he would go to meetups and stuff. And so I was like, well, I would have to track down, you know, everyone who had gone to a meetup with him and try to get them to ID him. And I was just like, oh, this is going to be a huge hassle. You know, like it'll cause all this drama. You know, as soon as I ask somebody who is friendly with him, they'll tell him and he'll, you know, blow it up on Reddit, which ultimately did happen, you know, just a year later. So I was kind of putting it off and then. Um, jailbait, which was what I was writing about at the time, closed down because Anderson Cooper covered it and there was this huge outcry. And so it closed down. He kind of went underground for a while. I think that, you know, the administrators were kind of burned by jailbait and had backed away from him. So it kind of seemed like he was done, like he was, you know, just kind of um, a non-entity anymore. But it, that wasn't really true because he came back um, just, you know, a month ago and was moderating this subsection called Creep Shots, which was dedicated to voyeuristic, uh, snapshots of like women on the street posted without their consent. And, you know, it was all another like creepy sexual subreddit. And so he was brought on basically after all this controversy came up to, to moderate it. And so I was like, oh man, you know, he's back. He's back. Yeah. And he's still there. And I was like, I have this guy's identity. Creep shots is like a pretty bad thing. And, and you know, um, in the interim, he had been on a podcast using his real voice with a bunch of other Reddit people. And so I realized that I just had to call up this guy and, you know, compare his voice. Um, so so the story was, it wasn't like you were working on something about creep shots. You, you knew the guy's name. And when creep shots came back, it was like, all right, fuck it. I'm doing this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was I had been writing about like the CD side of Reddit for a long time and so I was interested in in him as a character as like and and just interested in, you know, the fact that he was this really awful guy who who was like openly racist and sexist uh but also like extremely powerful and it definitely seemed like he was kind of the main guy behind a lot of the really bad stuff on Reddit. So I was always like, oh, this is an interesting guy. Um and was so, I mean, you, yeah. you you arranged like a chat with him but then like tell me about that phone call what was mm-hmm. it like talking to the guy uh well it was like it was pretty awkward because i hadn't been planning on calling him when i did because i was i was just just gonna set up a chat with him and kind of ask him basic questions you know and and get his his responses violent acres and then later you know maybe even a day later call him you know call michael brooch and be like this is you right but while I was asking him all these questions, I was asking him a lot about anonymity because, you know, that was kind of, like, the angle that I was looking at. I'm very interested in, like, how anonymity plays into these people's lives, you know, what to what extent it kind of causes them to do all these horrible things. So I was asking him all these questions like, oh, you know, well, why don't you tell anybody your name? Uh, and at the same time, I was like, but you're not very careful with your identity because you go to all these meetups and, you know, and then he kind of caught on that, like... He was like, do, do you have my name? I was like, I couldn't lie to him. So I was like, yeah. And then I panicked and I was like, oh, I, I really have to call him right now or else, you know, he might just shut shut off and like call right, him or, or he can plan a defense. Yeah, yeah. And so I just picked up the phone right then and called him. And basically the conversation took off from exactly where we were chatting. You know, I, I he was like, so are you going to out me? I call him up. I'm like, Hey Michael, you know this is Adrian from Gawker. We're chatting right now, and he's like, "Oh, you know, so are you gonna out me?" And it was like 
so that was yeah where, where does that conversation rank on like your all-time most awkward conversations? oh definitely the most awkward <laughs> yeah really i mean it was it was definitely intense you know i've talked to some people you know confronted them about things that i've dug up but that was by far the the like most excruciating did he did he beg forgiveness um he he begged me to not publish his name i mean he never he didn't you know I mean, he wasn't apologetic at all. He owned up to everything. He was, you know, he said, I stand by exactly what I've done. Um, And was just kind of like, I have a disabled wife. I have a kid. I just like to rile up up people. So, you know, don't do this. You're going to ruin my life, basically. And what uh, did you, when he made that pitch, did you have any doubts? I mean, the whole plan Um, of the story was to out the guy. Right. No, I definitely, yeah, I definitely had second thoughts. And, you know, I... He was like, so are you going to do it? And I said, you know, I don't know. The story's not done. And I really didn't know at that time because I was like, oh, man, I can't do it. Like, uh, I can't, like, ruin this guy's life. And then, you know, I talked to a friend who was really kind of like, oh, you've, you know, you like, you've got to do it because he's spent all of these years violating these girls' privacies, you know. And that was one thing that kind of made me more comfortable with it and but what really got me okay with it was thinking about like what if I wrote the story without putting his name in it and it was like I would basically be protecting him and you know, kind of boosting his brand as Violent Acres you know um, kind of feeding right into what he wanted to do and I couldn't just I, I felt like I, I couldn't just write it and be like oh, I know his name but I, I'm not gonna tell you you know it's just like yeah, you couldn't couldn't hold out once you had it. I mean, you, you certainly it would have been a very weird story to publish without. I mean, the whole <laughs> right. story is about finding out his name and 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 then and then he you know he shut down his his account right after I I called him and there was this big controversy on Reddit where he he you know it got out that I was writing this story and then I was like I can't not publish it because you know I don't care really what he did like I it wasn't like my job to shut it down but it was like you know uh it would have made it seem like the only thing I cared about was shutting down this section or this guy when what I really wanted to do was like tell the story of him so and uh, in terms of that decision I think people our listeners probably don't have a great sense of how Gawker works I don't really have a great sense of how Gawker works mm-hmm. like were you making that decision with an editor is that something you guys are talking about um not there wasn't a lot of discussion. I mean, I was just talking to uh, Emma Carmichael, the managing editor, about it because uh, AJ Delario, the editor in chief, was out of the office, um, and I was just keeping her up to date. I said, you know, right when I got off the phone, I think I was like, oh, I can't do this, you know. Um, and then the next day, after I thought about it, I was like, oh, I have to, I have to actually name him. And she was like, okay. So she was kind of like, wasn't putting pressure on your one way or the other. No. If no. you decided not to do it, that would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, I got the sense that it was like up to me what I wanted to do. So, and that's kind of how it works at Gawker. I, I, there's not a lot of, um, over like, there's not a lot of, I guess, shaping or, you know, it's, it's mostly like, are you not going to embarrass yourself? <laughs> and, you know, is this actually something that is worth running? You're quite a, sort of like like a internet detective a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like you're interested in sort of like trying to solve these mysteries. Yeah, I think I think I I am very interested in how 
you know, information travels around the internet and, and how these like stories and rumors get formed and these kind of like internet lore. Um, and, and so a lot of the time the best way to tell the story of these is to tell how I, you know, found out about it, how I kind of got to the bottom of it because it really shows like where the story comes from, you know, it's kind of like reverse engineering almost. It, it, has that always been a thing that you've been interested in? I mean, how, did, how did you get started doing these kinds of stories? The first one that was kind of, I think, descended, it, and in a very literal way, I think a lot of this stuff comes directly from this one story, is the story of Jesse Slaughter. I don't know if you know that, but uh, this was a 14-year-old girl who, um, in the summer of 2010, a video went viral of her dad screaming at her web camera basically at these like invisible tormentors being like you know i'm gonna get you i'm gonna the the money quote was like i'm gonna backtrace you which became a meme um there there were like five or six memes spawned from this one video because it was so ridiculous and you know he had this like weird cowboy mustache and it was just like a very strange Jerry Springer kind of thing He, he had no idea what the internet was really and so this went crazy viral um, but nobody really explained what was going on in it. It was just like this guy yelling at a webcam. And so I just like did, you know, maybe two hours of Googling and searching and found out that it, there was actually this very long backstory where the girl had been the subject of all these rumors on this tween gossip blog called Sticky Drama. Um, and she became this kind of like, anti-hero in this weird teen internet cam girl world and that she was like provoking all these people and then somehow 4chan that that mess the uh you know message board 4chan found out about it and all of them started glomming onto this story and basically harassing her and it got kind of out of control and and that video was her dad after you know 4chan had been hounding them for the past three or four days, like at the end of his rope, like yelling at the camera. Um, and it was kind of, you know, this screwed up story that people were like, just like making fun of because it was a silly video, but it was like a really kind of sad story of like these, this like girl who was just having her life ruined and ruining her own life by doing these crazy things. So yeah. So you went like sort of track that one down and then, I mean, what happens next? How do you find the next one? Are people mm-hmm. st- are people starting to like e- email you stuff that's like this looks kind of crazy? This is some fake shit. Are you are you like uh, just kind of glomming on stories that are are kind of taking off, but no one's really asking well, how it happened? Well, that was the first time I really dug into like 4chan and anonymous, which is a lot of what I was writing. And Sorry, give give us a sense of like when this is when you're talking about. This is summer of 2010, like that story basically. Because after that story, um, Anonymous and 4chan got mad at me because I kind of, I followed, I kind of dug into how they were going after another person after Jesse Slaughter kind of connected, you know, another character in this drama around Jesse Slaughter. They were going to troll him and report him for, you know, pedophilia and, and make up all these like police reports and stuff. And I was in the chat room. Uh, just writing down what they were doing to, to screw up this guy's life, and I wrote a post about it, and Fortune got really mad about that, and there was all this drama where they attacked Gawker, they brought down our website, you know, we were writing about this at the time, and 
so so that was kind of like a very you know uh, instructive uh, introduction to to 4chan and anonymous and and that actually eventually led to Gawker being hacked in the summer or I guess the fall of 2011. I mean, it was it was pretty much directly descended from that. But but through that, you know, this kind of underworld of internet culture was was something that I was very interested in. After that, and there was just like a lot of stories that were there. Walk us through kind of like what what your rhythms are like. I mean, you're sort of doing these longer stories, kind of when they come up, but you're also writing posts during mm-hmm. the week. How do you balance the the sort of like shorter stuff with these longer pieces? How, well, I mean, how does that work at Gawker? Yeah, it was, it was way, it's changed a lot. I've been there for three years and it's changed a lot since I've been there. I mean, when I was starting, I was doing, you know, four to six posts a day at least. And so it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to do longer things. But since AJ took over um, about a year ago, he's really opened it up to doing longer things. And so there's no quota you know, when I was working on that Violent Acres piece, it, I went for a week and a half without writing anything. So I I think I have a lot of freedom to just take take my time now. What's the theory behind that? I mean, from a sort of uh, business model sense, mm-hmm. what, what's that approach about? I think that he, I mean, I think he, he realizes that if we have writers you know, writing what they care about and putting effort into a fewer number of things, it will give greater dividends than just churning out, you know, kind of high traffic link bait. Um, and and we also have this guy, Nitsan, who's like an amazing aggregator and, you know, just totally on top of everything that's coming out of the internet. And so that gives everybody else like freedom to do these longer pieces. And I mean, it seems like at least from a traffic perspective, it's kind of paying off. I mean, I assume the violent acre story mm-hmm. is the numbers have to be off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be my most pop- popular story ever, I think. Um, and so, so yeah, you know, I spent a week and a half without putting anything up, but it, it definitely pays back. And, uh, and you know, we, we operate by a unique that's kind of the main metric that we use. And so those bigger, longer stories bring in, I think, more uniques than, you know, even like a, a big short post. So this story you just posted is getting, you know, uh, coverage on CNN. You've been doing interviews on NPR and mm-hmm. it's getting all of this attention. Uh, it's getting the level of attention that most magazine writers would kill for. Uh, how, how do you see your work in sort of in the context of sort of traditional long form magazine journalism? Um, I don't know. It's, I've never written like a magazine feature, so it's almost like it's similar in that I try to, you know, bring in the bigger issues and, and not just, you know, be funny or, or tell a sensational story. But I think it's also kind of rough and, sketchy in a way that I think blog posts are, you know, a lot of it is kind of like, I feel like long, long form blog writing almost is just like, you know, I don't spend a lot of time 
editing or you know looking it over it's like just type as fast as you can and try to cram all of your research in and then it goes up and that research is another thing i want to ask you but i mean um a couple of magazine writers after your story came out on friday and it was getting passed around everywhere and you know we posted it on long form it was it, it it was getting read by a whole bunch of people, especially for something posted at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of magazine writers who started um, knocking it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Jones, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, sent something out. I think he, he called it um, as airtight as a screen door. I think <laughs> Chris and, Jones has some beef with Gawker, though. So all right, well, we'll take Chris Jones out of it. But there, I, I did see some other stuff where people kind of like, like. Um, uh, people who do traditional magazine reporting where they're like flying somewhere, spending right. a lot of time with someone, like reporting things from all sides. Mm-hmm. We're kind of saying like, this is a great story and it didn't get the full treatment. Right. I, I get, would totally agree with that. I mean, you know, I'm bound by the limitations of Gawker and also the internet. I mean, uh, I, I guess the ideal way to, to report it would have definitely been to, go down there and kind of like stake him out, you know, which would have been awesome. And I would have loved to do it, but it's like, that's not going to happen. And by the time I, you know, contacted him, uh, things exploded so quickly that it was kind of like, got to get it out of the door. But I would have loved to, you know, talk to his family, his, you know, whoever I could have, but a lot of, a lot of this stuff that I do is kind of, um, limited by, you know, who I can access just by like Googling and calling. So it's like, yeah. It's also peculiar to the stuff that you're writing about because you're writing about the internet and the internet doesn't stop and wait for like a monthly publication cycle. Like the story is evolving as you're doing it, which was a premium on sort of getting the stuff out there as mm-hmm. fast as you can. Do you, do you have aspirations to like um, do longer stuff? Like, like maybe come back to this story and mm-hmm. tell it in full or report it out yeah, I would love to I would love to do something like that. I mean, um I would love to do kind of a bigger take on a lot of the stories that I was writing about, but a lot of them are just yeah, I I think are very situated. I mean, it's kind of like I said like long form blogging. I don't I don't think that any of my pieces would really hold up in a magazine, you know, uh whether it's just because of time or, you know, we have kind of a different standard of, you know, proof or, you know, I can I can report rumors, I can just tell a story as opposed to, you know, having to get every angle of it. So um so that's why I kinda like think it's different than a writing a magazine story and can't really be compared to that. Tell us about the the horse ebook story for a little bit. How long was that like how long were you working on that? Uh that one was kind of interesting because it really just took like two days to track them down. Um, horse eBooks is like this spam robot that probably a lot of people listening to the podcast know about because it's, it's kind of blown up, but it, it just finds all of these snippets of, um, text and will put them out onto Twitter kind of as a spam evasion technique, but it's advertising these like eBooks that have to do with horses and gain this cult following, um, for being like this weird found poetry. And nobody really knew who was behind it. And I was just kind of wondering, like, how hard would it be to actually find this guy? Because it was like, 
um, the only rumor was that it, he was like a Russian, you know, a Russian guy <laughs> who had set up this spam bot. And I think a lot of people thought he was some kind of like shady organized crime, you know, hacker dude. Yeah, most most organized crime dudes are really into found poetry. Right, right. Who had just like, yeah, set this up like some guy Boris was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> doing this in between selling Viagra and, you know, walking around with his like blonde wife or something. And so I was just like, who is this guy actually? And, you know, I, I sat down and just Googled for like hours on a Saturday. I was just like, I don't know what, what, what made me think that I wanted to do this this weekend, but I was like, all right, this weekend I'm going to like find who this is. And so I just sat down and, you know, it just took like a long time and a lot of, different ways to search Google and eventually having to buy, like pay $20 to, um, to see, you know, if this person had registered a website, what other websites did they own? And that's kind of ultimately what, what led me to him because he had registered the horse eBooks website, but also dozens of other ones. And one of them happened to be his, um, web design firm. And so through that, I was able to get get at him um and then he didn't even end up talking to you right? no he didn't he didn't talk to me he remains mysterious alexi um he he would only communicate me with me through this american who he had done web design work for an american realtor who does like bahamas real realty and so he would only communicate through that and he wouldn't comment on it at all um but but you know the the his american friends said he's really nice and i've been emailing with him through this guy since then trying to get him to do an interview and i actually just emailed last week and the guy was like you know can you promote his web design service in your interview and i said yeah i'll do anything you know basically <laughs> like it'll be the headline whatever he wants yeah <laughs> um but then he comes back to me and says well alexi says he he promised his client he couldn't he wouldn't talk about this in the media and so that adds another layer because it's actually not this guy it's He's doing it for somebody who he's employed by. Boris. Yeah. The guy with the blonde. Wife, <laughs> yeah. So maybe crime. there is. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's somebody high up. But yeah. Tell the people about Goatsy. Uh, well, I should just tell people to Google it. And <laughs> yeah, actually. Just Google actually, you know it. What? Yeah. yeah, yeah just, just search <laughs> it and you'll, you'll see for yourself. So Goatsy is like the grossest internet meme ever. It's just a guy pulling his ass open and it's become like this legendary geek you know, urban legend basically. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I was just very curious, like who the guy was. Cause there were a lot of rumors out there, like about who he was, you know, there was, there was a name out there even. And, you know, there were rumors that he had died. Um, just a lot of speculation. And so I kind of like went through all the rumors and also traced kind of how it became such a big phenomenon on the internet. How often do you go down these paths and and come up with nothing? Like, how, how often do you go down like crazy Google holes mm-hmm. and whatever you're looking for is <laughs> like in there? every day, basically, <laughs> multiple times every day. I mean, I just yeah, I I just like go to just like crazy. You know, I I should I want to someday just like publish a list of all the forums that I've joined. Just like really insane, weird. You know, just like every interest. You know, I'm I'm just like a lot of the stuff that I get comes from like forums or like kind of overlooked corners of the internet. And so, yeah, just sign up for 
thousands of forums. I follow all these Twitter accounts. You know, I think Twitter is where I get a lot of really good ideas because it's like you can really easily like get into a world and just see what's going on there because they're all people are talking just like as if nobody's listening. You know, like if if you find like a world where people are into it and and follow all these Twitter accounts, you can basically get a pretty good sense of what's going on. And how often does that reporting? I mean, how often do you actually go offline once you've gotten somewhere? How, uh, how often are you meeting these people? In hardly person? ever. I've, I mean, I did a lot of Occupy Wall Street reporting, which I I did a lot of it in person, and that was really cool um, because uh, I, you know, hardly ever get to do that. But is that something you want to do more of? Oh yeah, totally. I'd love to do. I mean, I I really like the internet beat and all this stuff, and every time. I get kind of bored of it. Something else, like you know, I I was feeling like pretty burnt out on all this stuff, and then this happened, which was just like kind of a next level like weirdness. Um, but you know, I I was covering anonymous for like a year, and I was just like really sick. I was like, I never want to cover any other leak or hack again. It's so boring, and and uh, and all but, these. But guys the leaks just, and hacks keep coming, <laughs> yeah. man. All these guys are like full of shit, you know, and they're all all the interesting ones are arrested. Um, but then, yeah, and and so eventually, I'd love to do like more kind of like real. I mean, you know, all these people are real people, and uh, I think it would a lot of it would just be a matter of you know visiting them and seeing how they actually live and and what their lives are like off of the internet. Yeah, I mean, I I um, that's one of the experiences I have when I'm reading your stuff is is it seems like it 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 always gets really close to that mm-hmm. and like you know especially with like violent acres you know it, it um your story sort of hints at the kind of there is some there is some kind of like twisted sympathetic side of him that also came out in the last week i mean he had a ton of support mostly on reddit but a lot of people kind of came right. back him but there's also this hint and I think you, you sort of refer to this directly in the story that um, he's as big a fucking asshole in real life as he is on the site, which, yeah. which is often not true of trolls. Right. One of the, my main goals in that piece, um, outside of just showing what was going on, was also just kind of breaking down the idea that like trolls are just completely divorced from you know who, who they are in real life, uh, which I think really gets played up a lot of times especially in like cyberbullying cases or something it's like this you know mild-mannered teen turned into a monster and bullied somebody to suicide you know it's like not actually true right like in in this case the guy was actually the guy yeah yeah um and uh have you had any further communication with him this week have you guys talked anymore no i tried to email him a couple times i don't think he's going to talk to me although you know uh I've been following him because now he's posting on his in under his real name on Reddit and kind of updating people and um, people keep on asking him, you know, are you going to get Chen? Are you going to get Gawker? And he's and he's basically, you know, very reasonably saying that, well, there he was just doing his job. I it's all on me. You know, I was playing a game and I lost. I brought this on myself. You know, Gawker is not on my mind anymore. So. Um, I think that's where he's at. But Gawker's on other people's minds. I mean, part of what's interesting about these stories is is that uh, people respond to the site as much as you. Right. Gawker's actually like, you know, 
taken some punches <laughs> after these stories, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, Gawker is a controversial site, and so whenever anybody has a problem with whatever I'm doing, uh, that's kind of what they'll fall back on is, oh, it's Gawker, you know, here are here's a laundry list of things that they did that, you know, are controversial, and 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 so, you know, that doesn't really bother me. I mean, I'm happy to let the work stand, and if people want to just bash Gawker or whatever. Well, there's bashing Gawker, but there's also attacking Gawker. Right. Which people have done. Are you talking about when 4chan attacked Gawker? You know what? Adrian, <laughs> I am. Yes. So after I, I wrote about... um. After I wrote about Jesse Slaughter, 4chan attacked us and brought down our website for a bit, and that was kind of just a you know interesting bit of like drama in the summer that people were very thrilled about on the internet, I think. But that kind of ultimately led to some really elite hackers getting our scent and, and trying to dig into us and ultimately hacking us and leaking all of our users names and passwords and it was a huge debacle that you know probably occupied two or three months of you know nick denton and the tech team's time uh and so you just like uh walking every day with like a hat like real real low over your eyes <laughs> well fake, it was, fake beards and such I, I was just yeah I, I was just kind of you know when it when it was actually when the the smaller attack was happening you know everybody was kind of happy about it because it was just like they they came out looking bad and and you know i just kind of tried to rationalize that this was like just you know the inevitable fallout from from that um but the the team that actually and this is something that kind of has gotten lost in history but the team that attacked us was the team that would go on to become Lolsec, which was like this star superstar hacker group, part of Anonymous that hacked the FBI and you know brought down the CIA's website. But their first hack was Gawker. Um, you were the inspiration, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it was it was pretty weird. And then I ended up reporting a lot on Lolsec, and so it's very strange how everything comes back um, on us. But uh, I I will never forget the day that we got hacked because I was actually working. It was Sunday. Uh, I was a weekend editor at the time in November 2010, I think. It was like Sunday evening. I was at Cafe Grumpy in Greenpoint. And like the day before, um, Gizmodo's Twitter had been hacked. And, you know, this was Saturday. So I was the only one working. And I emailed tech and I emailed, you know, some people. And they were like, oh, you know, somebody got our password. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. So I was like, okay, went on. And then, you know, Sunday evening, it's probably five. I'm about to finish up for the day. And all of a sudden, like, locked out of our content management system. And then a post goes up on under my name with this, like, you know, meme image. And, and it's just like, Gnosis has hacked Gawker. Like, you know, all of this stuff. And... Uh, and I had to like tweet out like that's not me like we're hacked, <laughs> and it was just like a crazy, you know, free for all. After that, I was like in anonymous chat rooms trying to figure out what was going on. And you, you were know. like totally flying solo, couldn't mm -hmm. get anyone on the phone. Oh uh, well, you know, people came on, um, but there wasn't anything we could do. And and yeah, I mean, at for the first you know half hour or something, I was on my own. And but I did get a lot of Twitter followers that day because <laughs> you know everybody who 
who cared about Gawker right. or media or, you know, the internet with, like I was the only one tweeting about it. So, um, I've been here. I'm asking all these questions about magazine stuff, uh, pigeonholing you as a, as a Gawker blogger. <laughs> and, um, you're actually part of a pretty amazing magazine. Yes. Uh, t- tell me about the new inquiry. <laughs> Well, the New Inquiry is a journal of uh, essays and reviews. Um, it's online only. We have kind of a PDF edition, but everything is is published online eventually. Newinquiry.com. Just check it out. It's the Newinquiry.com. I always get screwed up. Um, but yeah, it's how, just how like, much do you hate those people who have Newinquiry.com? <laughs> it's it's just like a splat. It's like a you know holding site. Which is even worse. It's like, what are you doing with it? Yeah, there, there's uh, we're someone, a nonprofit, so they should give it to us. Someone is squatting on longform.com, and I keep like uh, emailing them from like increasingly ludicrous Gmail accounts <laughs> to ask about the price, and the price keeps going up, <laughs> which I feel like is like a good sign for how the site is doing, but it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> who was the domain squatter? Who was like longform journalism is going to be the? It's coming. I'm betting on longform. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything, but I'm betting on it. The next sex.com. <laughs> yeah. Sex.com and longform.org or longform.com. I think I, I probably shouldn't say this. Either. I'm pretty sure we own longporn.org. Longporn.org. That's, that's like the real business. Really? Well, I, I write a lot about the porn industry, so maybe you can do like a longform porn. Yeah, we can do some offshoot. We can do some sort of like a co-promoted mm-hmm. story. Anyway, man, new inquiry. Tell me about the new yeah. inquiry. So it's just, uh, it's a really crazy group of people a lot of young people um a lot of kind of uh not established writers or or you know bloggers that have been just kind of come together through similar interests or or styles um and actually the way that i got involved in the new inquiry is a weird story uh i i was covering occupy wall street and um one of my sources was this guy named Malcolm Harris, who uh, was a writer for this other magazine called Jacobin. And he tipped me off to the fact that Radiohead was going to be playing down at Zuccotti Park. I wrote a post about it. It was like a big, you know, to do at the time. And it turned out that that was a prank that Radiohead was never supposed to show up. Somebody had pretended to be um, their manager to them. And, you know, I, I talked to Malcolm. He's like, oh, you know, I got I got pranked. Uh, but then I, I was at a New Inquiry event and saw him again. Uh, you know, we had both had a few drinks, and, and he admitted to me that he was actually the guy who had pranked um, both the Occupy Wall Street, like, media team by pretending to be their manager and also me by tipping me off. <laughs> So I had reported kind of a false rumor that had been... And you, you were know, like, I'm about to write 5,000 words about your ass. Right, right. And so so after that, I was like, yeah, you know, um, you got to like either write something for us or I'm going to write about it. And so he wrote a, a post about it and he's one of the editors. He's like the, you know, a senior editor there who's kind of now more well known for being the guy who uh, Twitter, um, the DA is trying to get twitter to hand over his his deleted messages so right. that's kind of how i got into it and it kind of shows you you know the the weird kind of network it, it's a very decentralized like you know kind of an occupy like structure what are you working on now i don't know right now i mean uh i was i was kind of interested in um so since this whole michael brooch thing happened 
Um, I have been accused a lot of doxing him, which is this hacker term for um, you just publish somebody's private information to basically intimidate them. Usually it's it's like a dossier of you know their name, their street address, their phone number, maybe their family's information. Uh, and so I'm kind of interested in that phenomenon because it really goes back like a long ways to like the early 90s and like a hacker scene. And, uh, and I think it's becoming more prevalent, you know, outside of just hackers. I mean, just like kids will do it to each other to like piss each other off, you know. And, and so I think I'm going to try to do like a longer story about that. About um, like the, that phenomenon? That or- phenomenon, um, just the culture around it. There are whole websites where like people will post docs of you know rival hackers, and you know once you're docs, you're kind of like cowed because you can't do anything illegal anymore, you know. And and there are also people who, um, from what I understand, are like paid to like dox other people. You know, it's it's just like a whole, you know, kind of wraps up into the privacy issues as well. Do you ever like uh? Do you ever worry about fucking with these people who seem to spend like most of their time trying to fuck with people? Yeah, I I got pretty paranoid after the Gawker hack, um, but and I was actually doxed. That's all, another reason why I kind of am interested in this because the first time they attacked us, they they doxed me. Although all, most of the information was wrong, but they posted it to 4chan and was like harass this guy, um, and I got a few phone calls, but. But one thing that actually happened was they sent a bunch of um, prepaid postal boxes. That's one of the, their their tactics is just to flood you with these free boxes that the uh, the postal service will send. And they sent a bunch of them to this random Chinese woman in Queens, thinking that that was my address. And I actually got an email like the, a month later from her, being like, "I got all of these boxes. I don't know how she found me, but she's like, these are <laughs> fuck I, you, other yeah, Adrian Chen. Yeah, she was like, I think somebody sent you all these boxes. Like, do, what do you want to do with them?'" And I just never emailed her back because I was like, I don't know how to explain. I'd have to explain like, you know, basically what we've talked about in this podcast to her to, to tell her. I mean, are you, uh, so are you on edge about this stuff? I mean, uh, you I'm, know, you're kind of like a public enemy number one on Reddit right now. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I, are you thinking about that? Is that I, in the back of your head? Yeah, I, I definitely take precautions. I mean, I have like two-factor authentication on my Gmail which is kind of what I'm worried about the most is like somebody hacking my Gmail. Um, but somebody was like trying to be me, pretending to be me on Facebook the other day. Um, but I don't know. Nothing's happened. I, the worst that could happen is like my Twitter or Facebook was hacked and, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal, I don't think. Um, but I'm not worried about like somebody coming to my house or like, yeah. You have no like offline IRL. No, yeah. I'm not worried about IRL trolling. <laughs> Good man. That, that that I I'm glad. I was worried about it for you, <laughs> but now no. Um, Adrian, man, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Don't don't watch your back because you don't even need to worry <laughs> about it. I'm Max Linsky. Thanks for listening to Longform. Uh, my co-hosts are Evan Ratliff and Aaron Lemmer. It's edited by Lauren Kirchner. Thanks very much to Tiny Letter, our wonderful sponsor. We'll be back next week.